hello and welcome to another episode about the abolition of the slave trade. We are still following the Edexcel route for A-level history course um, and this will be the last podcast on key knowledge about the abolition of the slave trade as we've now looked at all four factors. We began by looking at the growth in humanitarian thinking, we moved on to the economic debate, the role of key individuals and today looking at the changing political climate. It is important to carefully consider the political context of the time in order to decide which was the most important factor in leading to abolition. The political context becomes increasingly important when you consider how the the work of individuals and the new humanitarian ideas have found an open ear with the public, and more importantly in Parliament, if the political climate of the time had not supported it. Now, there are three main features of changing political climate that we need to look at. The first gives an insight into the growth of new ideas about politics and in particular republicanism. The American War of Independence ended in 1783 and raised lots of questions about liberty and the rights of man. These had begun with questions about the right to foreign powers to govern other countries abroad. However, it also led to questions about how a nation could hold control over the lives of another. But this began to give growing justification to the abolition movement. If American revolutionaries professed ideals like freedom, shouldn't that be for all? The American Revolution sowed the seeds of doubt about the slave trade in America, but these ideas were also transported back to Britain. If you consider the timing of this, there is evidence to support this change. For example, the Dolben Act in 1788, restricting the number of slaves on ships, which was then renewed with improvements each year. This seems to support the new ideas of freedom and liberty spreading. It finds a support base in Britain, further supported by the voices of abolitionists such as Equiano with his descriptions of the Middle Passage and Clarkson's propaganda of the Brooks ship's cross-section. However, as always, this needs to be tempered. Britain was still cautious of the ideas of republicanism, the idea that a head of state being chosen by representative of the people, not the people being subjects of the state. And when considering the conservative nature of Parliament in Britain at this time, where even fellow conservatives like Wilberforce struggled for a foothold, it seems too radical to suggest that Britain just bought into these ideas lock and stock. It's therefore important to consider what might have been other factors in leading to its acceptance. For example, Britain was losing a colony in 1783, which was the main market for many of the slaves being traded. In 1776, approximately 20% of the population of colonies were from African descent. If this market closed, does it fit with Williams's debate that the trade was becoming less economically viable and that Britain preferred the new ideas of Adam Smith that slavery was neither as efficient nor cheap as free labour, the labour of free men? As always, you will be expected to compare, consider and evaluate these factors in your exam. Now, our second factor in the changing political climate is one which is even more complex. This complexity lies in Britain's relationship and conflict with revolutionary France. The revolution in France both hindered and supported the abolition movement in Britain over time. 
Britain remained heavily fearful of the ideas across the, sp- across the pond, so to speak. Liberty, fraternity and equality were all a concern to Britain and seen as a threat, particularly the revolutionary sentiment when the... Uh, particularly the revolutionary sentiment when the French abandoned slavery in 1794. All of a sudden, British abolitionists were viewed with concern and were closely watched by the government, and they found it more and more difficult to gain support in these years. We're talking about 1794 to 1802 here. This was when the government took a crackdown on any worrying activity, evidenced by the treason trials of 1793 and 1794, which saw radicals such as Thomas Paine, who you've covered, the author of The Rights of Man, being put on trial. However, the abolitionists did have a change of look when Napoleon reintroduced the slave trade in France in 1802 in a 180 shift. Abolition now became part of national duty, of patriotic pride, To support the abolition movement was now to oppose France and the movement saw a change in fortunes with the support of Prime Minister William Pitt in 1806 and his successor William Grenville who ended the trade in 1807. The debate here splits historians with some arguing that the timing of Napoleon's reintroduction suggests it was mainly merely a contribution to abolition and that the tireless work of individuals was more important factor. Now, if you consider their commitment in times when it was even dangerous to support the abolition movement, the validity of this argument grows. However, Others argue that the context in Britain of anti-abolition means that Napoleon's reintroduction becomes more significant and it allowed the movement to succeed in 1807 and transform the fate of the abolitionists overnight. The final argument is that of the role of slave resistance and the importance of that role in the abolition of the slave trade. The main argument actually relies on viewing all of these issues together. Britain was under intense pressure during this period. War with America, fears from abroad with France and the effects of the Industrial Revolution all threatened the very nature of British politics and it was under these conditions that Britain could really have done without the extra burdens of problems of resistance. Slaves began to resist their fate. This began with resistance on board ships, with insurrections, slaves taking their own lives and refusing to eat and also attacks from ashore. There were 50 major mutinies from 1699 to 1865 and David Richardson's research found that there were 485 acts of violence against slave ships and crew. You could also consider that this posed a risk to profitability of the movement and relate this back to the economic debate and the risk of debt associated with failed voyages. However, there are problems with the reliability of the evidence that is available and gaps in the record which bring this into question. There was also a resistance on the plantations and although the obvious method may be in running away, this often brought serious consequences and they were not often very successful. Slaves looked for other methods of resistance, such as pretending to be ill, starting fires, working slowly, all to undermine the success of the plantation, and this offered an economic form of resistance. Again, use your previous knowledge of the decline thesis to consider if this gives the claim more credibility. 
Unrest makes the political power of Britain less stable, but it was also making the trade less profitable. Another tack to take is to consider the role of key individuals on the plantations. Vincent Auger tried to pursue a political model and seems to hold some views of humanitarian model as he pleaded for the freedom of the enslaved people in French-owned Haiti of the time. He inspired by he was inspired by the revolution in France and asked for the freedom of slaves, but was denied. He tried to start a revolt, but failed to take advantage of numbers as he refused to involve enslaved individuals in the revolt. This was easily defeated. He met a particularly gruesome fate. He had his arms, legs, hips and thigh bones all broken with hammers and was then tied to a wheel and left out in the sun to die. However, his death did lead to outbreak, outrage in France and concessions were made, particularly to those born to free parents, and it inspired other uprisings in Haiti. Toussaint Overture was another leading figure in slave revolts. Initially against bloodshed, in his early days he even protected his own plantation and helped his master escape an early revolt. He later used his abilities to train slave rebels and lead them to military success. He gained back control of Haiti and remained a complicated character. He initially joined the Spanish to wage war against the French and brought the French close to disaster. But he later changed sides back to the French in 1794 when France abolished slavery, which Spain and Britain had refused to do. He drove the British out of San Domingue, which is modern Haiti, and preached reconciliation. He allowed planters to return, but ensured that a percentage of the profits were shared. However, with the reintroduction of slavery in 1802, Overture was exiled to France and died in a prison dungeon. Unfortunately for France, his time in Haiti had given the colony a taste for freedom they wouldn't easily forget. Haiti led the way as an example of rebellion to others, and there were slave revolts across the British-owned colonies of Grenada, St Vincent and St Lucia, and others. There were two effects of this. One, that hearts were actually hardened towards abolitionists, with even William Pitt removing his support from Wilberforce. The reaction of the colonies was to create a militia to regain control, and late as examples of rebellion, such as the British Virgin Islands in 1790, were easily subdued. However, the cost of lost land, there were over a thousand plantations burned in Haiti alone, the damaged property and the cost of upholding a militia led to the practical realisation that to continue the trade was going to incur further costs. The rebellions also led to some changes to improve conditions. So in Jamaica in 1792, the use of metal collars and mutilation as punishment were abandoned. Once again, slave resistance seems a complicated factor, with arguments on each side, and it is therefore preferable to consider the impact of events in America, France and the colonies in unity. Did these events act as a catalyst for change, or were they evidence that gave greater weight to other arguments of economics and humanitarianism? This brings us to the end of our series of podcasts on abolition, and hopefully these have proved informative and helpful to your A-level study. The aim was to provide you with a starting point for your own research and study for you to move on from.
Thank you once again as Philosocast for hosting me. Thanks for listening. Bye.